podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Hello, welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast. We are back, refreshed, ready and raring to go for our third season of Rams Chat, analysis, nostalgia and nonsense. I'm Chris, your host, and alongside me, as per usual, we've extended his contract for another year. Hello, Tom. Hello. He's reported back for pre-season and he couldn't wait to get the balls out. Welcome back, Richard. Who's balls out? And getting some crucial game time under his belt after some impressive cameos last season. Hello, Anton. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, before we crack on, Steve Bloom was watching is partnered for the season once again with our friends at Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer and pub operator. Uh, quite quite a summer for you, gents. It was. Um, I don't know if you spent it like me, basically just hammering refresh F five <laughs> on on Twitter, or did you actually do something constructive with with your your off season? No, the whole the whole Lampard saga pretty much coincided with my busiest time at work post Wembley. So uh, yeah, I was kind of hammering refresh as a way to distract myself from from usual. Uh, probably did impact my productivity for uh, May and June. Tom, it was um, there's a saying, isn't there, that a week is a long time in politics, but how long is 48 hours on uh, football Twitter by uh, comparison? <laughs> it takes ages just to sift through all, is the, it still all the comments. Is happening? I, I don't know. I still popped up on my newsfeed, but um, I don't think I was quite refreshing at the same rate as you guys. I was enjoying the. Uh, well, you've got a life, haven't you? So <laughs> yeah, well, I, was enjoy- I was enjoying the cricket action, Chris, and I thought I'd just continue the amazing sort of week of or months of sport we've had after the uh, Liverpool, Barca, Spurs, Ajax, Derby, Leeds, incredible sporting events, and then obviously the England uh, cricket team winning the World Cup final. Yeah, I got really into cricket for about. 45 minutes yeah. it's not always like that Chris <laughs> that's what you meant to tell him it's always like that so he does get involved in it more often Anton what about you I mean that cricket game was absolutely incredible still coming down from that to be honest um, but two weeks to go until the season it's come around so quickly Tom what do you enjoy it. more answer carefully here England winning the cricket world cup or Derby getting to the playoff final go well Cheers. <laughs> I think that's the cricket. Is that that's, a cricket thing that, that cricket people yeah, say? Yeah, that's a cricket thing, yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's all change for Derby County. Once again, Lampard out. A different manager in pre-season at Moor Farm for the seventh season in a row. And the Rams will start their 12th consecutive year in the Championship with their first ever non-British manager. Uh, Kutch, aside from the fact that it's Philip Koku, and this is a new chapter in, in our club's history. I mean, it's, it's a really exciting time for us, right? It is. Uh, I think it's surprising that I haven't done the look-up, but I can't, can't think there's many teams in the Championship that haven't had a foreign manager before. Um, obviously, you shouldn't appoint a foreign manager just for the sake of appointing a foreign manager, but I think it is exciting. And you know, his name alone is, is an exciting one. Definitely a lot more exciting than the name that they got down the other end of the A52. Um, I'm I'm really excited about it. I think we will talk about it a bit more detail, but you know, cautiously optimistic is probably how I'm feeling about it. Tom, when we were linked with Koku, did you ever actually see it happening? Uh, no, I mean there are so many sort of stories that were going all over the place that um, 
I didn't really believe that would be the case at all. I know like Dan Moore was mentioned quite a few times and there was other people in the sort of in the mix for things. I think Yukanovic even was in there until he uh, got a job in Qatar. And <clears throat> so when Philip Koku, I was like, just I didn't even realise he managed to to be fair. And then I looked it up, I was like, Oh, he had been at PSV, I just hadn't hadn't really followed Dutch football. So I, I didn't didn't think it was gonna happen at all. And I remember Chris, in fact, I was uh, having a peruse of the WhatsApp group. You went, We can't afford him and he won't come anyway, but it's nice to dream. Well here we are, Chris, <laughs> dreaming. <laughs> the dream is real. The dream is real. The dreams become reality. I mean <laughs> Anton, if you'd have said at the start of pre season that Newcastle and Derby would change their manager in the summer. One would end up with Philip Koku and the other would end up with Steve Bruce. I think nine out of ten fans or people with brains would have said that, you know, they wouldn't have put it this way around, would they? Well, I mean, the less said about Newcastle, the better, really. But yeah, um, Philip Koku's a massively exciting appointment. Um, fortunately, Mel Morris had about five weeks to sort out a replacement for Lampard uh, after that saga dragged on. Um, incredibly long. It came out of nowhere for me. Um, Koku's name wasn't really in the running until right at the last minute, really. Um, but yeah, exciting stuff. I think it's important to mention here as well, Chris, that you almost stumbled upon the first meeting between Mel Morris and Philip Koku on on the Strand. I believe yeah, it was. I wasn't really sure whether I wanted you to bring up this. Yeah, we had, to, we had to bring it up. It is, by all accounts, pretty ordinary. But to, long story short, we all live and work in London. I was walking home from my office in uh, in one part of London, down the Strand to get a train home at Charing Cross. A lot of people w- probably won't believe this is true. I didn't get a picture, but I was walking along the Strand. I walked past a particularly fancy restaurant um, and I, just, I saw two guys in suits going into said restaurant. I did double take. And I thought, that's Mel Morris over there. I couldn't believe it. Of all the places he could have been yeah. on that day. So I thought to myself, shall, shall I pop in, have a, have a little chat? Um, and uh, I decided to, even though I had to get a train in like six minutes and I was sweating profusely. It was about 27 degrees at the time. So, uh, yeah, I popped in, said, uh, said hello to Mel. He listens to the podcast. So Philip, Philip wasn't there, was he then? I think the main takeaway is Mel Morris listens to the podcast. Yeah, but, sorry, you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, uh, I said, uh, I said hello and uh, I feel, I feel pretty stupid now because as I left, I said, uh, any, any news on Frank? <laughs> And he was like, uh, oh, you know, if we had any, we'd tell you. Um, he was there with, with Stephen Pearce. And, and then it transpired about 10 days later that when they were talking about how they appointed Koku, they said they met him in London the previous Monday, which was the day that I bumped into him. So that was probably when it happened. Should have asked what was in the folder, Chris, because it probably would have been a list of Philip Koku's championship manager. Yeah. <laughs> so Stephen Pearce was carrying some sort of A4 binder. I didn't say hello to him because I forgot his first name, which is quite embarrassing. Quite <laughs> <All> right, <PC. laughs> I was going to call him Jonathan. Um, so yeah, there we go. But, um, but it, it did come out. It did come out of nowhere, I think. And, and the name was mentioned. It was mentioned. It was uh, the Times, wasn't it? It was the Times uh, football. One of the Times football correspondents who, who first mentioned it. And yeah, as he, as Tom mentioned, we all thought it was kind of a bit of a pie in the sky appointment. Once you did your homework, he'd won three titles in in Holland. Uh, obviously had, had, had a weird spell in Fenerbahce, but. I thought it was, you know, it's great imagination from Mel and it's great ambition for him to even try and go and get him and it and it paid off. The question is though, Tom, like when we saw it, as you say, we didn't think it was going to happen. Like how has Mel Morris pulled this one off? 
I think uh, there's a lot to sell about Derby. I mean, they've got an excellent training facility, brilliant ground, a pretty decent, if not the best youth academy at the moment um, in the entire country. We've, we're top of the, uh, well, the champions of England uh, in the youth sort of setup. So there is a lot of really positive things and it's a, it's a real opportunity for someone to come in and build a project. You mentioned in the intro, Chris, that we've had seven managers in seven years. What we need is someone to be there in, in July next year who, well, Philip Koku to be there in July next year and building into a second season. We want someone to be in there um, and to, to build a project because this, this club has potential. I think that's the thing that is most important, Anton, because it can't be just coincidence that Mel Morris has given Koku a four-year contract. Pretty sure Lampard only got three, is yeah, that right? Three, yeah. And I'm not sure any of our other recent appointments have had four, really. I mean, to me, it does seem like a huge sign-off commitment from Mel Morris. Like, and it gives Koku that bit of leeway, doesn't it? He can have a, an ordinary season next season, would prefer if he didn't, but he can grow into this role and it is sort of protection and insurance at the same time that if he does have a bit of a miracle first season gets us up, if someone comes in for him, then it's going to cost them even more than it costs Chelsea for Lampard. So in both senses, whatever happens, I think Mel Morris has, has completed some pretty shrewd business with this one. Yeah, I mean, Koku said... It, it may take time to, to de- develop his philosophy, um, maybe bring some youth through the system as well. So we need to give him a few months to, to establish his mark on the club. We saw with his time at PSV, even though that was very successful, it did take time to, to develop his ways. So his first season was, was fairly average. Second season, he won the title. So if, we, if, if Mel Morris is true to his word and does give him time, then um, it could be massively successful for Derby. I think the four-year contract as well is, is really sensible for, for all parties because, as you said, he could have an average season. Even if he has a really terrible start, you know, a Frank de Boer-type start, for example, um, Mel Morris will have to think very carefully about if he pulls the trigger because it's going to cost him a lot of money to get rid of him. So that four-year contract kind of shows that commitment to Philip Koku that we're in it for the long run. It also defends Derby, as you mentioned, Chris, from a bigger club coming in. You know, you could, there's lots of good Premier League jobs that could be available next season. If Koku started the season really well for us, there'll be clubs circulating because of his profile, because of his track record, um, getting to know English football at Derby. They'll be coming after him. You know, as you said, it'll be probably four million plus this time, particularly if it's a four-year contract. So I think it's a really clever idea. Is obviously the, the, the disaster is it goes really badly wrong and you do need to get rid of him in January and suddenly you've got to pay a huge amount of money to get rid of him. Um, I don't think it would come to that. Yeah. I do, I do agree, Kutch, and I think that most Derby fans are level-headed enough to to realise that this club needs a bit of stability. Seven managers in seven years is way too many. Uh, Rowett went through a sticky patch and he didn't really get too many pelters. Lampard went through a, a less sticky patch, but still a difficult period in March, uh, February and March this year, and the fans were behind behind both of those managers. If Koku goes through a difficult patch and if we end up finishing 13th or 14th this year, it being quite frustrating and not quite coming off, but with some ideas that... Okay, we've gone away to a side like Middlesbrough or Stoke and, and played them off the park and beaten them 2-0. Uh, the following week, we've then gone and done what Derby do and lose lose to like Millwall away. Uh, so like it's always Millwall away. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. I think there will be time. And I really do think that last year, everyone was saying, oh, Derby finishing sixth, and that's completely unexpected. We overachieved. We did worse than we did under Rowett. So we actually went backwards statistically last year. So it wouldn't surprise me again with the changing in system, the changing in transfer policy, if we went backward again. It's that idea of like one step backward, two too forward and I hope that will happen over the next couple of years I, I think the difference this time is that it, it seems like a much smoother transition in terms of philosophy from Lampard to Koku than it has been in previous seasons Lampard 
has and and hopefully will leave us with a a lasting impression because the squad went through a massive overhaul last year. We all knew it was going to take time going from an ageing, pretty boring um, team to a young, exciting team. We still got that this year. Koku has the same philosophy that Lampard has. He wants to play attacking, good, good-looking football. So hopefully we can kind of hit the ground running a little bit more than we did last year. You've almost taken words out of my mouth there, Anton, because one of the good things about this all, as well as the uh, sensible side to it financially, is that you're right. It does seem like there is a bit more con- continuity and a bit more method to this decision. I mean, if you think about the previous changes, like McLaren to Clement, quite a big stylistic change um Clement to Pearson was it Clement to Pearson yeah I think so yeah um I mean Pearson literally sort of went because he tried to change too much too soon I think among various reasons back to McLaren again so it goes full circle then to Rauer which is another shift in the other direction then to Lampard which is a shift again but of all those changes Lampard to Koku seems like like you say like the smoothest one which I guess is credit to Lampard's legacy really that in in one season he achieved a style that made such an impression that Mel Morris was like right this is great we've just got to get someone else to do what he did well it means there's a clear strategy and thought process going on in the back end which is obviously a good sign which hasn't been there in the past as yeah I think that's correct like Mel's admitted himself that he has learned from his mistakes and it's important to mention Mel hasn't sacked for the last two managers Mel's got a, a, a reputation for being trigger happy and that is definitely from his early days but he hasn't sat the last two managers, and the first time McLaren left was because of the whole Newcastle saga. So we'll, we'll have to see, you know, if Mel's given the opportunity to give someone time. You know, that that will be interesting to see because he actually he hasn't been given the opportunity himself to give someone time because people keep coming and hiring our managers. I really think he will give time, and I think he, I think he's got to. I think there's got to be a, an idea of what we're going to do in the future. We're talking about everyone took the mick, and certainly I think we did when he said uh, he sat Clement for not playing the Derby way. I was like, well, what is the Derby way? But actually, I'm now seeing what he believes, as in Mel believes, is the Derby way, and that's sort of quick attacking football possession-based football with young young players and that's what he Lampard instilled and if that's what Cocker's going to instill it's going to take time we're not necessarily going to get three amazing low knees we're not going to necessarily get a breakthrough like Jaden Bogle who's become first choice uh, right back for us like that's not necessarily going to happen again so we're going to have to look look elsewhere and it will take time I've uh, I've got some educational stuff for you so how, how's all your Dutch your Dutch language skills not my Afrikaans not is better it's similar <laughs> Don't think Cocky speaks that, but anyway, I uh, pigeon, pigeon Dutch. I thought I'd try and help him settle in a bit, so I've I've I've, I've done some translating through the old Google Translate. I've, I've um, trusty source. Got some, uh, which is definitely hundred percent accurate. <laughs> I've got some phrases which uh, which he might find useful for his time in England. So, uh, Sloeg het lang na de groot man. What do you think that means? Hit a big, hit a big man. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I told you that's man. Speak Afrikaans, mate. Uh, how about this one? Kunja het boshoren zingen. Get it to the wings. Get the ball in. Get the no. ball out. That is, can you hear the forest sing? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, Austinit Springen Stutet Ben Gerud. If you don't <laughs> bounce, you're red. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that'll catch on? Austinit Springen Stutet. <laughs> yes, I think it will. I think it will. At Brentford away, you get it going. I'll be right behind you. In my cocker shirt that I'm currently wearing right now. Mm. Full um, Dutch, Chris. So Derby's first ever non-British manager will take uh, take charge of his first league game away at Huddersfield on the opening weekend of the season. And we know Koku has that pedigree as a player and as a manager, those three Eredivisie titles in five seasons with PSV. But 
can he do it on a Wednesday night against Wigan? Uh, so to find out more about the new boss's tactics and achievements, we had a chat to Dutch football expert Stefan Kurtz, who's head of news for Goal.com. And I started by asking him how much of a coup Koku is and if he's an upgrade on Frank Lampard. I think he, he is quite a coup if you look at his success, uh, the success he enjoyed at PSV. Obviously won three Eredivisie titles there, was quite highly rated, but then his, his time at Fenerbahce didn't go as he would have hoped for. Um, so in that regards, it's, it's um, an opportunity for him to pretty much get his feet back in, in the game and, and show what he can do. Obviously with Lampard, you had another manager who was quite highly rated as well. Um, massive reputation as a player, someone who knew the English game, um, so that obviously spoke, spoke to his advantage, whereas for Goku, his, his style of play worked in the Eredivisie, but then in Turkey it all didn't go to plan, so it will be quite interesting to see whether Goku can adapt to the English game and, and can actually build on what Lampard achieved last season. And the Mel Morris, Derby's owner, has spoken repeatedly about the fit that the club have with Koku and the emphasis that Koku has on developing young players. Um, I know you've studied PSV's very impressive academy setup yourself in a lot of detail. How much of the success of that academy was down to the work that Koku did himself? I think it's, it's a bit of everything, really. Traditionally, PSV were always known for, for buying players, um, bringing in big talents from abroad. And I'd say about 10 to 12 years ago, they decided, you know what, this doesn't work for us anymore simply because we can't compete with the big guns for, for the biggest talent. So they made that switch to, to put more emphasis in the youth academy. And it, it's not necessarily that Koku had a direct hand in that by saying, okay, this is how we're going to do it. But he still had a hand in it in implementing it with, with the PC reserves. When he was the head coach, he did use plenty of, young, of youngsters, uh, players like Memphis Depay who came through the ranks of the academy. And, and Memphis was probably the key difference in, in that first season where Koku won the title. Yes, yeah, so, so the, the, the three title wins that Koku had in Holland were quite heavily influenced by young players in that team for, in those three seasons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know that the Eredivisie is very much a, a, a feeder league for the bigger leagues these days. So all the teams play plenty of the youngsters. But Koku was one of those players who, one of those coaches who was always looking for the right balance. So normally what he would do in midfield, for example, he'd play Andres Guardado, who was an experienced head who came in from Spain. And then he'd play Jorrit Hendricks alongside him, the younger kid coming through the academy. In attack, he'd have Luke de Jong up front, experienced player who had experience from playing abroad. And then alongside him, you had Memphis Dubai who came through the youth academy. So he'd always look for that, that balance between younger players and older players. But he was never afraid to trust them and, and the youngsters coming through. After PSV, of course, he moved on to Fenerbahce in Turkey, but only lasted a few months. Um, what do you put that down to? What, what went wrong for him in Turkey? To be honest, I think he might have underestimated that move a bit um, in the way things go in a country like Turkey. In the Netherlands, everything is, is fairly well organised and, and you get a bit of time to implement your own style. Whereas at Fenerbahce, it was pretty much from the start. That first game didn't go his way and the pressure was on straight away. When they appointed him, they said, oh, we'll give you a bit of time to build your own team. Obviously, he didn't, didn't really have particularly good transfer window where they lost their best player in Giuliano and only after they went out in the Champions League qualifiers did he get in a few players but none of those players were, were his own players so the results weren't going his way quickly lost the, the 
the faith of the squad. I think some of his own staff members didn't believe in him anymore. And there was even a bit of talk that, that one of his assistants was, was actively sabotaging what he was doing. And it's that sort of thing that you're not used to that in the Dutch game because it's all a bit more simple and straightforward. Whereas in a country like Turkey, there's so many factors at play and so many things you need to take into account and I think you might have underestimated that a little bit. In terms of in-games themselves and throughout the course of the season, what sort of a manager is Philip Cocker? Is he, he comes across, initially at least, as the quiet, considered type. I mean, is, is he more of a fiery character on the touchline and behind closed doors in when he gives team talks, do you think? Um, no, I think with Cocker it's very much what you see is what you get. He is that, that quiet, that call manager who's who knows what he's doing you, you, you're not going to see him jumping up and down the line and you won't see, see that in the dressing room either he's not the kind of manager who would lose his cool um he sends his players out with, with a clear game plan of what he wants what he expects from his players and that's just what he wants them to do and the way he was as a player as well he's just the kind of guy who's like okay this is what i have in mind we have to stay calm do what we're meant to be doing and and that's the way forward rather than than well panic might, might not be the right word but it's more about sticking to your plan rather than following following your heart and, and, and instincts and, and being that passionate guy. That does bring me on to Philip Cocker's tactical setup. He does sound quite similar to Frank Lampard in that he's he's been talked about favouring a attacking four three three formation. But at the same time, others in Holland have said he's actually a bit more pragmatic than that as well, and he has been direct at times. So um, tell us yourself. Stefan, what does a successful Philip Koku team play like? He does favour that attacking 4-3-3 lineup, but then very much with an emphasis of being in control and, and being well organised. So it's it's perhaps a bit similar to what we saw from Louis van Gaal at Manchester United, who was also playing that 4-3-3, but it was very much organised, playing it out from the back and, and keep the ball. And it's not that the sort of attacking free-flowing football that you see at, at Manchester City, for example. It's not the direct counter-pressing you see at Liverpool. It's all about organisation, holding on to the ball, and if if needs be, he's not afraid to just play it long and then win that second ball and, and, and play from there on. And what you would often see from Goku in the Eredivisie is when PSV were holding on to, to a one-goal lead or a two-goal lead, he wasn't afraid to take off an attack and, and bring on an extra defender and just play out the game with five defenders, three midfielders, and then two attackers, um, happy to hit their opponents on the counter-attack. So he's not necessarily a, a traditional Dutch coach who always wants to attack. It's, it's His initial mindset is to attack, to dominate play in that 4-3-3 formation. And tell us about how he likes his teams to attack, because one of the dilemmas that Derby fans seem to have this summer is that they have one striker, who uh, Chris Martin, who is more of a, a less mobile, traditional target man who doesn't move around much, who's come back after not being in the team for a long time, um, versus the two strikers who um, who run in behind and press and close down defenders and run the channels in Martin Waghorn and Jack Marriott. What sort of striker do you think he prefers at the top of that 4-3-3? Well, what we saw at PSV is when he played Luke de Jong up front. Um, I don't know whether you remember him from his time at Newcastle United, but he's very much um, a physical presence, someone who's who's willing to fight for the balls, strong in the air. Still someone who does get involved in, in the build-up play as well, drop deep and go for the combination. But in the end, he's he's very much a target man. So that's the sort of thing Goku quite likes because he's, he's keen for his... For his wingers to get involved and, and throw in those crosses, which is perhaps fairly fairly English, to be honest. Um, what you saw at PSV, for example, is when he had Yato Williams at left back, 
Um, then Memphis Depay on the left wing would cut inside. Yeto Willems would overlap and swing in those crosses. And I think Willems got eight or nine assists from that left back position, which were all crosses towards Luke de Jong, who would then win that duel in the middle. Um, and, and well, actually, play fairly straightforward. So you could expect him to go for a fairly similar approach to Derby. I wanted to ask you before we finish. Um... Stefan, how do you think he'll get on? You know, what's your hunch about whether Koku can be a success in England? Do you think he can get Derby back into the playoffs for another season? I think that very much depends on how patient the club, how patient the club are with him. It's, it's a bit similar to to Frank de Boer, who had a really successful spell in the Netherlands as well. Then went to to Inter, where things didn't work out. At Palace, things didn't work out. And they always lost the faith of the board fairly fairly early on in their spell. And I think one of the things you're bound to get with, with Dutch coaches and managers is they always want to make their own mark on a team and, and get them to play to, to their philosophy. If results don't go his way early in the season and, and the pressure is immediately on, then, then things could turn badly for for Koku. All sounds really promising then, despite that gloomy last line from Stefan. Uh, overlapping fullbacks, inverted wingers, 4-3-3 but also not afraid to uh, to go direct to see a game out, even go five at the back in favour of a, an attacking player. Do you think in Koku, tactics-wise, we've got sort of a balance between Lampard's attacking sensibilities and that pragmatism that Rowett succeeded with? Yeah, I think pragmatism is probably the right word. That's the impression I've had from him just from his interviews and the kind of things we've heard from like the, like the interview you just did, um, but, but other, other Dutch football experts as well. I do feel like the PSV side of Holland is tends to be more a bit more pragmatic. I was speaking to a Palace fan about Frank de Boer just earlier today, and he was saying that what Frank de Boer did wrong was kind of go uh, too much, too far down the Ajax way too quickly and try to do too much at once, and it just didn't work for that group of players. It does seem like Philip Koku is a bit more pragmatic. We've heard that he might play with a big man up front. I don't quite believe it, but you know it, that's he's, it. Does seem like he might have more ways to play than just one. And I think he said in an interview recently uh, with, with Derby, uh, Rams TV, is, you know, he's got a way he wants to play, but it has to suit the players he has and the opposition he's playing against. So I think he will be flexible and he will be pragmatic. I think the tactical flexibility is the thing that excites me most about Koku, actually, because in previous seasons, that's one of the things that Derby fans have been so frustrated about watching from the sidelines. When we when it's not going our way, when we go a goal down, we've not always had that plan B. But having the, the flexibility to change the formation, to shift someone out wide, play with wing backs or something like that, it's, it's a different way to play. So we won't be playing against the same team every week. We, we know the, the massive range of... Um, tactics that can be seen in the championship so we have to be ready for that and that could be the way to go with uh, with respect to Lampard he he did literally get us to Wembley by using a pretty effective plan B at Ellen Road but I take your point it has been a bit of a long-standing problem that we have had managers who've had one way that has worked and haven't really known how to deviate from it when needs must Tom got one question for you we talked about him having a target man could um, don't shoot don't shoot the messenger could that say, target yeah. man be Sir Christopher of Martin? Derby's number 29. <laughs> Derby's, uh, to be honest, Chris, I don't think so. I think um, 
I think he scored two goals for Hull last year in 30 games, correct me if I'm wrong, but it certainly wasn't more than three or four, I, I don't think. And I think the days of Chris Martin are probably behind us as being a, a striker for, for Derby, and I'm, I'm surprised to see that he's still there. But um, Yeah, but from the 20 seconds I saw in a pre-season video, he looked like he was running quite fast. <laughs> but, but we were playing a pub team, which were set up in January in somewhere in Florida, Sarasota. So, I mean, it's not surprising. He'd look quite fast against me if he ran against me. So... Um, I don't think so. I think Waghorn and Marriott are definitely up there ahead of him. Uh, and I'd even put Bennett up front ahead of him as well, I think. So he's fourth. And this, and this is from Chris Martin's biggest fa- one of Chris Martin's biggest yeah. fan. Tom, love, you're a huge love, Chris Martin I love fan. Chris Martin. I've got some great memories of him, but I think it's been too long since he's actually scored goals. So and just getting, getting fitness for a move, you think, Coach? I think, it is, I think it is all about that, to be honest. I think the club are quite clever about who they'll make sure is saying the right things and you know, it's, I want to get fit, I want to challenge and you know, good luck to him. I mean, Chris Martin may mean all of those things, but I can't imagine that people at the club really believe he could have the, anywhere near the kind of impact that he has done previously. I'm sure he'll get given a chance. We'll probably see him at some point uh, in the friendlies against Girona or Rangers later this week. Uh, I, I think his days are gone. Martin Waghorn can play the hold-up role, uh, role quite well. He has played that last season. And he has held the ball up in the focal point and he does win headers. He does, it does stick to him. He does bring players in. So, And he's got a bit more to him than Chris Martin has. So I, I'd like to see if, there's, if he's going to play as a focal point striker, then Martin Waghorn's the man for me. And- don't get me wrong, if Chris Martin does come in and he does start the season by scoring a couple of goals and looking decent, I'm more than happy to be corrected. The last time we had a pod, I said Frank Lampard would be our manager, so I know absolutely <laughs> nothing about Derby County and nothing about football, and I'm happy to admit that in a few weeks. But that's no, that's not. fine. I can <laughs> I can say goodbye because uh, we all know that Akechi Anya is going to be the renaissance story of, uh, of next season anyway. So. I, I, actually do think that's, I actually do think that's more likely. You're ridiculous. I do think that's more You're likely. You're actually ridiculous. Because we actually need, we actually are short on wide players. Yeah, so that's why we've got to bring some in. Yeah, maybe, but if we don't, then Akechiani could play because he's still he is still a player that can play out wide and he's still quite fast. Akechiani doesn't play football; <laughs> just runs around, falls over. Remember Millwall, Millwall away? Yeah, he's offside. <laughs> uh, before we move on, Steve Bloom was watching. We're on uh, all forms of social media. Give us a follow or a like on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Facebook, just search Steve Bloom was watching. Same for Instagram as well, and on. Twitter, we are at Steve Bloomer Pod. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky Solidor. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. So, along with Koku coming in and his two Dutch compatriots, um, I'm going to have a go at this Twan Shapers. Very good. Uh, and Chris van der Weerden. Derby also recruited Liam Rossini as a specialist first team coach. Tom, where do you think he fits in? I mean, do you see him working specifically with the players or is he in more for his like knowledge of the league and the opposition? Um, I think it's a mixture of the two, to be honest. Um, he did some good work with Brighton on 23s um, over the last season. I think he's obviously uh, well-respected in the game. Um, I always thought, in terms of his championship knowledge, he, he comes across brilliantly on Sky Sports. He's one of my, my favourite commentators. So I think in terms of technical coaching side I think he, he will get involved but I don't think he'll necessarily be a lead man but in terms of experience in the championship and, and knowledge of the English game he's definitely going to be a, uh, definitely going to be in there I think that's his primary role Yeah I think it was clear with Koku coming in um, with his what, what I assume is fairly limited knowledge of the championship and the English game in general we had to get someone in with that additional knowledge so someone who worked as a pundit in the league last year and I totally agree with Tom really liked him on Sky Sports last year we had to get someone in like that and and he's an excellent option I think 
I think it's another good bit of foresight from from Mel Morris. He is he is more than a pundit. You know, he was working at Brighton uh, last season, supposedly well thought of, whatever that means. Um, he does the way he tucks hit the front of his uh, shirt into his shorts at training is a bit weird, and doesn't <laughs> quite. If you look at the pictures and the videos of him on the training ground, doesn't look quite right. But um, I think it's a good a good idea. And a controversial opinion is that. Uh, is it also a potential further look down the road from Mel Morris? You know, do not be surprised if Liam Rossini is our caretaker or manager in six months, one year, two years or four years time whenever Philip Cocky leaves. Is he an upgrade on just Darren Russell? I mean, he was only assistant coach at Brighton, but he was, as you say, quite highly respected. But I don't see him being a first I, I, team manager option anytime soon. No, I don't know. I just think it's something, and it, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, of course, but I just think it's something that... You know, it's someone brought in from outside Koku's team. So if there was to be any kind of disruption to that team, Koku leaving, whatever it is, and I, I do generally mean whether it's soon or, or a long time away, Rossini is probably more connected to Derby than, than Koku's team. So I don't know. I, I feel like it's a nice little insurance policy as well, but I do definitely agree that the main reason for it is um, his insight into the championship, which is is very good. His experience of playing in both you know, kind of bottom half of the Premier League and top half of the championship, knows some of our players, knows the league inside out, and apparently is a very good coach. I, I think it's a clever appointment all round. So yeah, we mentioned the work that uh, Rossini has done with the with Brighton's youth players there, and uh, Stefan told us before the break about the uh, hand that Koku had in PSV's academy. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was another Jaden Bogle? this season another amazing success story I mean granted they don't really come around very often do they players who settle that quickly into the first team just play an entire championship season in their first ever professional like first season as a footballer but have we got anyone on the books coach who you think could hit those sorts of levels from the academy the the best academy in the country let's not forget I think the only one I can see making a sustained impact throughout the whole season would be uh, Max Lowe, uh, simply because he has played a full season of growing up football in Scotland. I think he won player of the season at Aberdeen last year. But he did, uh, when we spoke to someone up there, they did say he didn't always cover himself in glory and he, he still wasn't great positionally. But how, how the hell has he won player of the season in quite a successful Aberdeen season? Then? Because it's Scotland. Yeah, but... <laughs> Come on, look at yeah, Kilmarnock. They lost to the Welsh team. Yeah, but they must have, but they must have had... Hello to our Scottish listeners, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they, they must have had you know a decent season with decent players in it. If, they've, if they, they came fourth, I think, in the end, they, they were running Rangers and, and Celtic quite close. And, and he won player of the season. So I, I'm not saying he's going to become a first-team regular. I just think that if... I think the, the best youth players, we're going to come on to some of them in a second, are probably two years away or one year away. But Max Lowe is at the age where he probably needs to take his chance this season. I think it, if you look at Lowe as well and, and the other options that he's competing against, the the other left-backs that we have in, in the team, Malone, Forsyth, do have their flaws as well. So even if Lowe does have his flaws, you might as well give the youngster a chance to kind of develop him and, and play the long game. Well, the left, uh, that brings me on to the player I was going to suggest. Um I assume he's left-footed because Louis Sibley has played at left-back and centre midfield. Um, Seems to have been a key player in the youth set-up. This is depressing. Born September 2001. Wow. Yeah, now you feel old, don't you? Um, Been with Derby for about nine years. Played against Burton in pre-season in that 5-2 win the other day. Quite, uh, Quite flexible, but I think the problem he'll have, even though he's talked about a lot, is that the two positions where he's best at, we already have quite a lot of cover Tom 
Yeah, I'd agree. I think left back is somewhere where we're actually quite strong uh, with obviously Phil Scythe potentially coming back from injury. I know he's been training. Uh, you've clearly got Malone and perhaps Lowe in there too. Um, my actual thought is someone who has been around the first team. Uh, he made his debut, I believe, as Oldham uh, in the League Cup last year. It's Max Bird. Um, I think he played three games for in the league last year. Um, so he's starting once, I think it was at Villa, which was a debacle, but that wasn't necessarily his fault. I think someone to come in to the to the team and maybe make an impression. Uh, centre midfield, I think there's some, some space up for grabs with the departure of obviously Mount uh, and of course Johnson, potentially Butterfield obviously going, Huddersfield's legs aren't quite what they are. So perhaps someone like Bird could be seen to be making 10, 15 appearances this year. Uh, I'd quite like to see him because when I have seen him on, on video highlights rather than live, I've generally been quite impressed with what he does. I think I think Matt's bird to me looks quite lightweight still, and obviously that can come. Like he can definitely bulk up in a season. You do see that with young players. I've, I I can't say that I've seen enough of him to know what kind of player he is. Is he kind of a neat and tidy player? Is he more of a Jeff Hendrick player that kind of bursts into the box? Or is he what? I, I'm I'm yet to be convinced, but I, I I admit I haven't really seen enough of him. He's I mean again I haven't seen enough as well. I don't go to youth games. It's too too far. But sort of watching there, he doesn't score. Uh, a whole load of goals and he didn't for the uh, under 18s and under 23s last year where he played for both um, but he's left footed and he seems quite tidy sort of allows the play to sort of move on so uh, getting the player to those more creative uh, getting the ball sorry to those more creative players um, and I think that could be a nice link up and he could could get some valuable experience this year I know with um, I've asked you this about four times what is the name of that giant centre back in the academy again? Max Hunt Max Hunt and you told us in the break that he's 198 centimetres tall. Uh, six which, foot five, yeah. Which yeah. In, uh, in other terms is, is very tall. <laughs> yeah, six foot five. Yeah, we signed him from uh, Matlock Town in January 2018. As you said, he's bloody massive. Um, he is, I think, 21. So he's made uh, 19 appearances under 23. He's obviously not eligible to play for the under 18s. He wasn't taken, though, to Florida. So I'm not sure how close he is to really featuring considering considering we are low on centre-back options or backup centre-back options you think if he was him with a chance he would have gone uh the player that i the player that i really like and kind of i think a few fans are surprised by him appearing on the substitute bench during the playoffs is uh jason knight uh the irish chap and i think jason knight's probably gone under the radar more because we signed him i think about 15 years old from ireland from just a local club team in ireland so we didn't really pinch him for another academy we kind of spotted him in a, in a county game out there um this is his first pre-season with the squad he's quite a they seem to be playing him in that kind of number 10 role uh, when he has featured in pre-season already uh, quite tidy on the ball he's got a great strike on him uh, he scored the under 18 uh, Premier League goal of the season last season season before against Manchester City and uh, was Ireland's um, under 16 player of the season so I think Jason might might be someone who gets some game time off the bench and we'll see how he goes from there he also says he's, he kind of puts himself about, about about a bit got sent off last season uh, and he thinks he's captain material so uh, not just a a small feisty player in the middle um it's quite an interesting dilemma that that cock is going to have because uh, one of the biggest problems we've faced is replacing mason mount and harry wilson's goals uh kieran dow's come in though is that enough of has, has have we done that enough or do we need someone else in as well i would say we we still need um an addition or two in the middle to uh, help out with the, the squad depth. Kieran Dow looks a great talent. Um, I think it's a little bit unfair of Dow to kind of compare him directly with Mason Mount. Mason Mount was clearly kind of a step above everyone else last year. 
the fact is, had we not had Lampard, we wouldn't have been anywhere near Mason Mount. And I don't think any other championship team would have done either. So, I mean, Dow looks a great prospect. I hope Derby fans don't compare him like for like with Mount because that will be a bit unfair for him. He did very well at Sheffield United last year. Um, the one question mark over him was um, his consistency. Can, can he do it over long terms in, in over the course of the season? Um, hopefully he can after an extra year's experience at Sheffield United, but that remains to be seen. So he's like, he's one of the players who's coming on loan. And Tom Anton said there that we need a couple more in. I mean, we're competing with the whole division, but at the same time, Mal Morris said recently that he reckoned we'd added 30 to 40 million to the combined value of Mount, Wilson and Tamori. So we are, I mean, we, we are at the front of the queue, aren't we? If you think about, if there's a player who doesn't want to get a Premier League move or go abroad, we've seen Ampadu go to RB Leipzig recently and other players stay in the Premier League. But if there's a player who's willing to drop down, we're at the front of the queue in the Championship, aren't we, for loan players? Yeah, as I said at the beginning, when you asked the question about how do we get Koku and what did Mel do? I think we're a great proposition as a club. We've got a, and the infrastructures there. Uh, and now in Koku, we've got arguably one of the most, not the most, I'd say. I think Bielsa uh, perhaps p- pips that one, I hate to say, but um, one of the most sort of well-known and uh, highly regarded in terms of reputation uh, managers in the championship. So I think um, I think Derby was a great option for people and someone that I quite like the look of uh, for the few times I did watch the uh, Scottish Premier League last year uh, is Ryan Kent. He's on loan. He was on loan at Rangers from Liverpool, um, and I don't think he's quite up in the Wilson sort of bracket in terms of quality but I think he's a bit younger as well but he seems pretty quick and very creative on the wing uh, I think that could be an option I know well I've seen on on Twitter that Derby has supposedly asked for Wilson again uh, and according to the Nottingham Post Nottingham Forest are interested in Fikayo Tomori so they've got no chance hopefully with that Tomori one. wouldn't do that to us no he wouldn't he no coach? Way. No. Have, you, have you seen that video <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah ab- ab- absolutely not um, I have seen a video the video of Mount, Mount and Tomori uh, bouncing on the uh, on the bus Tomori also made the same mistake he blacked out the the f word uh, in the song, which was unnecessary because it is funky. Um, <laughs> the best thing about that video video, by the way, is David Luiz cutting <laughs> in the end, who is looking at Tamori like he's an absolute idiot. <laughs> um, I, I think we'll, we'll I think we'll see at least one significant money signing from from us. Remember, we haven't spent a single penny yet, apart from presumably a, a loan fee to Everton. Shenny was on a free. We've already got two players in this summer. We had only had three at this point last summer. There's no need to panic. Um, and we did get four million plus for our coaching team, and we did come out forty million in profit last season because Mel sold the stadium to himself. Yeah, so, you know. So I think <laughs> there will be one or two very targeted money signings, uh, possibly one of them being a four or five million pound signing. And uh, one of the things that Koku and Morris both emphasised in their press conference um, last week was they don't want to block the pathway for the for these young players. Some of these young players we talked about today. Um, coming through which is really interesting but as we also said I think some of them are kind of a year or two year away so you do need to fill that gap which is where the loan players will be used but it's not players coming through in all positions for our squad so I think we will see a couple of signings maybe one significant signing and Koku wouldn't have come if he if he had to only rely on loans would he absolutely let's not forget Koku's only been in charge for a couple of weeks though um, it's still early days we wouldn't want to rush any transfers without Koku's blessing without knowing without him knowing exactly what he needs out of the club so I know the season is only a couple of weeks away but I don't think there's too much reason to panic just yet 
Yeah, I'd agree. I were in Florida when he, he flew out to Florida to join the squad. And then we got back and I think his first time at Pride Park was like late last week. So it's not like we've had loads of time to sit down and assess and even communicate with people. And I know there's a lot of Derby fans being very frustrated on Twitter saying just announce someone. Well, to me, that seems just ridiculous. I have some patience. Literally every club's fan say that on Twitter though. Like yeah. it's just, uh, it's not... Endemic of football today, yeah. but that's a different story. Announce third, <laughs> announce third kit. Announce third kit. <laughs> orange. Which is an orange. Um, looking at the championship overall then, um, some interesting odds on who is who are the bookies' favourites to win the league as a whole. What's your, what's your thinking overall? At the moment, Leeds are the bookies' favourites, 9-2 to two to win the league. Then Fulham... Um, fifteen to two, Cardiff eleven to one, West Brom twelve to one, fourth favourites, then Brentford, Stoke, and Derby seventh favourites to win the win the league. A couple of things there for me. I think Stoke are too high. I'm not convinced Stoke are going to go great guns again. Really, I'm not sure West Brom will do a huge amount. Really, and I was a bit surprised Bristol City weren't higher because I thought they've done a bit of decent business. But aside from that, Leeds will be up there. Fulham will be up there. Cardiff will be up there. Uh, Kutch, is Leeds and Fulham the the two main threats for you? Possibly. I think it's really open. Obviously, there is always someone that appears out of nowhere and someone could run away with it. One of the teams you mentioned. Leeds, I'm I'm very biased against Leeds, as I'm sure most fans are, and I'm not particularly bothered by Bielsa, but they they could be up there again. They haven't made rafts of signings. They haven't improved the squad greatly on last season. I know the chap they sold uh, to Tottenham they've got back. Yeah. Again, which is probably quite important for them. No, uh, no, Pontus, no, Pontus Janssen sold to Brentford. Yeah, that's quite funny. Um, I think the surprising thing about Leeds for me is that they haven't done anything about what kind of the, the frailties that they had last year. The, the things that kind of made them fall apart in the second half of the season was their lack of depth and their defensive weaknesses. They haven't seemed to have done anything about that, despite their relative stability for the championship. Bielsa hasn't seemed to bring anyone in, and actually, he's lost Janssen as well. Yeah, and, and Fulham, I'd agree with that about Leeds. Um, and Bielsa isn't the kind of person to recognise his own flaws and fix them. That's not what he does. Um, he's too good for that, of course. Fulham have got a good squad, and they've got Mitrovic, which is a really impressive signing for the championship. I, I mean, think Mitro- Scott- Mitrovic knockout. Cavalero is a front three. That's pretty terrifying for championship. But the questions, the it? questions on Scott Parker. I mean, they've got they're given a really, really good squad to a completely rookie manager, and it d- rarely works in this but, position. But Mitrovic's goals basically got Fulham into the playoffs. Knockart was Brighton's best player when they went up, and Cavalero was part of a Wolves team that absolutely pissed the league a couple of years ago. So and add Sessegnon and. Kearney to that as well. They'll probably they'll, they'll just outscore teams, won't they? I, th- I think Fulham are, for, for me, Fulham look like the best team on paper. And I know what you say about rookie managers and opportunities, but Frank Lampard was one example last year that goes against that. And in a, a lower league, albeit Lee Bowyer goes against that at Charlton. Um, so I don't necessarily think that Parker's going to be out of his depth there. I think he's well liked. And I think he's, he's very much like Lampard for me. He's quite a sort of a a clever thinking person when I when he when he talks football I understand what he's saying I can see what he's trying to to develop I, I do think this is the weakest championship we've had for a long time I don't think there's a standout team your, your traditional sides like uh, your Middlesbrough for example and that they're on the bit of and even Derby I guess we're on the bit of a like just sort of take stock and see what's happening um what I do think though the the surprise team for me might actually be Blackburn now I don't think they've signed anyone amazing they signed Bradley Johnson for example um 
But Johnson can be a, a real force if he gets into a good run of form. And Sam you Gallagher... Just, you can't let him go, can you? I, I can't, no. <laughs> I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if you saw Blackburn up in the top six this year. I think they've uh, they've got a lot of experienced heads um, and I think they'll do they'll do okay in a, a fairly ordinary division. Um, I said earlier that I don't wouldn't be surprised if Derby didn't do well. I think Derby will certainly be top ten. I think we should be pushing top, top six. Remind me that... I forgot to say this before we started, but we should all do predictions for every part of the season... Write them down, stick them in an envelope, and then open them after the last day of the season. Deal? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. All uh, right. just, just, just one thing we haven't mentioned. Sorry, Anton. Uh, Neil Warnock is still at Cardiff, so of course they're in they're in the hunt big time. Until Christmas when they're 11th and he can't be asked and he retires. One thing that we haven't actually mentioned so far, which I'm a bit surprised at, is Brentford, um, who I think could be the ones to watch this year. They kind of came on quite a lot during the end of last season under Thomas Frankie took a while to get going but they they did look pretty good towards the end of the last season they've spent quite a lot of money which is unusual for Brentford but their scouting policy is normally very strong they do think about it quite a lot they've brought in Janssen amongst others they've spent about 18 million which is quite rare for Brentford they've, they've spent years like recouping a lot of money by buying players on the cheap with amazing scouting selling them on for obscene sums and now it seems like this is a season where they're like right yeah. time to go for it yeah if they can keep a hold of Mopai up front who could could score 20 plus goals this season they could be really dangerous well, he scored 22 last year didn't he I think he's a real talent but I know Sheffield United have been sniffing around there and I don't know what the latest is on that but I, I do think you're right Brentford and, and Chris you mentioned Bristol City I think those two are really dangerous but I've always liked the way Brentford have operated I, w- I wonder as well if that as you say Chris that kind of moment they say let's go for it they move into their, their new stadium next season so that may well have something to do with it as well sentimental before we wrap things up, almost out of time for the uh, for this preseason episode of the podcast, we're going to do a uh, cheeky little round of guess the eleven, the uh, the game where two or three of the guys here have to take in turns to name the starting eleven and or subs in an iconic derby match from yesteryear. Now then, as soon as I say the name, you'll know which game I'm going to do because Philip Koku. Has already uh, played at Pride uh, Park, yeah. of course. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Grown. <laughs> uh, as we've been told several times since he got the job, he put in a pre-season cameo in August 2001 when Barcelona came to town and narrowly edged out Derby 3-0. Um, but how many players from that game can you all remember? I think I can name more Barcelona players. Like, yeah. well, I've got a new rule for this one with that in mind because I know this is a pretty tricky one. So... For the duration of the game, you're each allowed one yellow card. You're allowed to get one answer wrong. I can only find a starting 11. It's 98, is it? 2001. 2001, sorry. Strong start. <laughs> Told you literally 40 seconds ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, Derby County nil, Barcelona 3, August 2001. Everyone gets one wrong answer. Coach, do you want to open the, open the batting? Patrick Clivert. Is correct. Scored one of the goals. Tom uh, Derby's goalkeeper I think was Andy Oakes is correct well done Anton I, I, I remember looking at this starting lineup just a couple of weeks ago after Koku came in and I think it was back in the early days of Chavi. the referee's gone to his pocket he's no gone way. in he's gone in late Xavi sure uh, is not in there oh, that's tense are we sticking with Anton and then going back around? Um, that's back to me now yeah, yeah back to Kutch oh. This is unfair advantage. <laughs> um, 
so it's a friendly. So there's a lot of substitutions made, presumably as well. Uh, Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique, Kutch has gone in, studs up. Oh. It's a yellow. Oh, unbelievable. He wasn't in. He's not in these eleven Barcelona players. Uh, they, oh, is it subs as well? I, I can't find the subs. Oh, for f- he did say that at the beginning, Kutch. You just have to be listening. Like really? it was 1998, not 2001 or whatever. It was 2001. <laughs> oh, well done. You were listening. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, Barcelona legendary centre back Carlos Puyol. Carlos Puyol is also not there. So, yeah, according to this lineup I've got in front of me, uh, Carlos Puyol didn't play. It's outrageous. According to this lineup, so blame that. So, everyone's on the yellow. Yeah. Anton. Feisty game. Um, So, at risk of an early bath, it's just too tempting not to go with the Barcelona players. So, I'm going to go with. The current second best manager in the country behind Philip Cocu, and that's Pep Guardiola. Too early for, <laughs> too early for Pep. Anton's gone both both feet <laughs> off the ground. It's what? dangerous play. He's uh he's been given his marching orders. Anton's out. Okay, I'm gonna go Malcolm Christie. Malcolm Christie, finally, someone's got one right. Malcolm Christie did uh, play. Followed this up with uh, Bjorn Otto Bragstad. Bjorn Otto Bragstad as this game isn't going very well, was a substitute. <laughs> There's only one Derby substitute named in this lineup. Yeah. And um, you've given it to me. But fuck it, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Dion Burton. Dion Burton, I'm afraid, is incorrect. He was knocking about. He was still yeah. knocking about can, then. Can I, can I have what, a, what a shocking a, 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 You have, to, you have to get this right. You have to get this right. Uh, pretty sure Fabrizio Ravinelli would have therefore been up front. Fabrizio Ravanelli made his Derby County debut in this game. Yeah. Well, yeah uh, so Derby's lineup Simo was... Simo Valakari, Seth Johnson. Oaks, Mawene, Rigott, Higginbottom, Carbonari, Johnson, Kinkladzi, Ravanelli, Burley, Christie. And is that everyone? I think so. Sad. You wonder and, why we got uh, relegated. Sub is uh, oh, Bjorn of Bragstad of Barcelona, Koku, Cliver. Mark Overmars, mm-hmm. Michael Reisiger, Michael Frank Reisiger. De Boer, Patrick Anderson, Cruz, Fabio Rockenbach, Deberson, Roberto Bonanno, no idea, <laughs> and Barjuan. Barzaro was a goalkeeper. So there you go. Um, not quite as successful as I'd, <laughs> as I'd hoped, that particular round of Guess the 11, um, but I'll try and pick an easier game next time. Um, any more further minutes before we uh, wrap this one up coach I just really want to say that I'm absolute cocko hoop for our new manager <laughs> get out <laughs> I'm pleased we're closing now <laughs> I'm looking forward to the to the new season it'd be good to see Derby on TV again on the first game um, away at Huddersfield it's a shame it's on the Monday night it makes it very difficult for people to get there especially travelling up from London but um, but yeah I'm looking forward to, to seeing what Philip Cocko is all about Anton, how angry are you that the club have just announced that there'll be bag searches and that you can't bring in your own refreshments to Pry Park anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fuming. I bet. Angry of Tunbridge Wells. We, we managed to get a few beers in last year. Tell them that. <laughs> I think that, that is genuinely a terrible decision. But I was thinking more the orange flares. But... Yeah. What, so you can't even take in like some Haribo or something? Seems not, no. They're not no. going to be able to enforce that. It's an unenforceable policy. Little Doris from Little Over taking in a pork pie. A pork pie is yeah. going to get nicked. Yeah. And handed out but the mints behind the dugout. We will return <laughs> in two to three weeks when uh, Philip Koku has led out the rounds home and away against Huddersfield and Swansea in the meantime. 
Richard, thanks for your time. Thank you, sir. Tom, thanks for your participation. All the best. Anton, an honour and a privilege. Cheers, Chris. 2019-2020. Bring it on. See you later. Thank you.